Welcome to Make It Count, Living a Legacy Life, where we invest in what matters, God and people. I'm Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com, where you can learn to know and show the heart of God. And that's what counts. Thank you for joining me. Hi, today I'm so excited to share with you my new friend, Kevin White. He's from North Carolina. He is a former pastor. He's an entrepreneur. He's uh, a builder of nonprofits. I think he's the whole shebang. And I'm going to let you tell, uh, let him tell you a little bit about himself and his family. But he has this book, Audacious Generosity. And I didn't tell you this, Kevin, but our church just finished a four-week series on our generous God. And it had nothing to do with giving money to the church, which is really Mm -hmm. great because the church is notorious for asking, asking, asking. And yet our pastors led us to um, the truth of how generous our God is. And based Mm -hmm. on that, we can be audaciously generous. So please tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll get into legacy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sue. What an honor it is to be on your show. Hmm. I really appreciate this opportunity. Uh, So I was born and raised in North Carolina. Wow. Um, a North Carolina native. You sound like uh, it. Which is rare. <laughs> is that a compliment? It is. It's sweet. <laughs> it's sweet. I'm from Southern California, but no one ever accuses me of a droll. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have mixed bag tricks now in North Carolina. Um, oh. All the uh, northerners are coming down to the four seasons. and Oh, really? Uh, really enjoying. Uh, yeah, we're two, two hours from the beach, two hours from the mountains. Mm. Um, and our area has actually been voted the best place to live for like 10 years straight. Um, really? In, in one way or another, it may be because of tech or education or medical or something. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's always something that's putting us on the, on the map. So we have had a lot of influx of people. Um, so it's, it's great. And, and that includes Indian nationals. And you'll hear more about that in my story. Mm-hmm. Uh, having mm. gone over to India so many times. And you mean uh, Far East India is what you're yes. saying. Yeah, we're going to yeah. get into that. Our church also yeah. supports uh, a group in India, Northern India, but we can talk about that later. So go ahead. Tell us uh, yeah. about your life. Yeah. So married 33 years uh, to Shelly. We were sweet. Um, we were high school sweethearts and uh, we have three adult children and our son was our first and he is now married and we're blessed with our daughter-in-law. Um, and then uh, our two daughters, uh, Courtney and Kaylee, uh, come after he did. And then uh, in January of 2020, we were blessed with our first granddaughter. Oh, praise and the Lord. That was one of the sweet spots of 2020. And it came, she came at the right time. I call <clears throat> her the stress ball reliever of 2020. <laughs> uh, I can see that. If, if there was any type of news report that we were watching in the background, uh, here is this bundle of joy right in front of us that always mm. washed all that stress away mm. every single day of 2020, it seemed mm. like. So that was a great gift of, of God. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, tell, tell us about your story and how you got led into building this wonderful nonprofit and also writing the book. Okay. All right. Well, born in North Carolina, unfortunately, my parents um, really were challenged in their relationship and they divorced whenever I was 12. And so uh, faith has always been a part of my life. We did go to church as a family, but unfortunately, the love of Christ never really found its way into our home. And so I grew up very disillusioned. I, I did what I was told to do as far as, um, and I understood the gospel and the need for salvation whenever I was 10 and I was baptized. 
but I never really understood lordship. I'd never been discipled at all about the need to have a daily walk, the opportunity to have a daily walk with God. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, um, please. When you say you were disillusioned, would you, as a younger person, would you blame it on your parents? Would you, uh, I mean, people can be a disillusioned in their faith and walk away. It sounds like you were disillusioned in that you didn't know God was really in charge of your life. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, I, I really think it's more of a result of the, the climate of, of that particular era. Um, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, and the, the culture was um, fire and brimstone, and you need your fire insurance. And I went forward oh, and got my fire insurance. I see. And there really wasn't a, we had Sunday school and different things, but there, today there's an emphasis on discipleship and, and really knowing the word. And I'm sure there was then, and it's probably some of my family culture, as you did mention about my parents. And uh, but I wouldn't blame them. I mean, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't feel victimized at all. I just feel like that's a part of my story. Like it or not, it's it's there in my past. And see, and that's a mature that's a mature response mm -hmm. uh, to because we're all victims of something, right? Sure. But, but we can get we stuck live in a fallen world. Yeah, yeah, and we can get stuck in our victimization so that we don't serve God and glorify God. So yeah, go ahead. I, keep interrupting I you. <laughs> that's fine. Please do. I had a pr professor in college that really broke the word history down to his story. And that has always given me a great perspective. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have baggage and we have been victimized out the wazoo in mm -hmm. one way or another. But in, in, in respect to that, overarching uh, the, is the sovereignty of God. And, and we are all uh, products of his story. Um, and I'm so grateful. So whenever I was 17 years old, a friend of mine had gone on a mission trip and had invited me to her finale concert of this gospel choir team. And uh, I went and saw a group of uh, teenagers my age that really had a joy of the Lord and a, and a passion for, for, for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it really caught my attention. And I remember just praying, God, if there's more to you than I realize, I want to know it. Mm -hmm. And he answered that prayer. Mm -hmm. I really... I don't, I, I had no witness. It wasn't in a Pentecostal church. So there wasn't a, a lot of emphasis on the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the presence of the Holy Spirit. But I look back and, and God really gifted me with his spirit um, that gave me a hunger for the word. I, mm -hmm. Reading was a chore. I was not a good student in school. I didn't like to read. And all of a sudden I'm sitting on my bed instead of partying with my friends, reading the Bible wow. for hours upon hours. And hmm. I just really used that season, my senior year in high school to transform me from the inside out. Wow. And that was really my first witness of true peace. Huh. Um, we had a volatile childhood. Every holiday, every family vacation erupted in my parents' drama of their dysfunction in their marriage. And hmm. so now I'm, I'm experiencing a peace from within. And a love that I'd never experienced before. My parents loved me. I loved them. Uh, but they lacked the skills to really show that love uh, a lot of times, especially when, when they were really hurting in their own marriage um, and, and that. But God got my attention. And I surrendered my life more to him. And I really found myself as a 17-year-old lacking purpose, lacking mission. And I look back, and that was really... Now I, I believe God wants us to experience him as master because he has this gift of a mission for each and every one of us. Amen. And, Amen. And I, but to learn I that at it. seven, you have to learn that at 17. 
Yeah. 17 year olds are out skateboarding. And so <laughs> I didn't try to make a million dollars. You yeah, know, I wasn't perfect in that. And yeah, the millennials are very challenged uh, to really want to go big really yeah. fast. Yes. Um, but it was it was a daily grind for years upon years because uh, okay. I actually took into my relationship with God a lot of baggage. And I found myself. Uh, so I was called into the ministry that senior year in high school. I went to Bible college. My wife and I married in college. That's a sweet story. And then we had our kids and I started in ministry, pastoring churches. And then I uh, really was drawn to a church planning project where we just moved into a community to help start a church. Wow. And I had worked on that for three years and hmm. Uh, they ended up dismissing me after I bled, sweat, and teared for this congregation to be, mm. to grow. And God really worked in spite of me. Uh, they decided that they wanted to dismiss me as pastor, and I was broken. I felt so betrayed by God. And mm -hmm. and the dismissal didn't happen because of anything financial or sexual. It was I was a workaholic, really trying to uh, prove to my dad he had. Uh, in his form of discipline would scream at me as a child, Kevin, you'll never amount to anything. And so oh here gosh. I was a minister of the gospel, still trying to amount to something. Mm -hmm. And I really, I really had entered into this performance trap um, and, and to the, in bondage to the fear of failure. And, and it really was shaping, unfortunately, um, my walk with God in a very negative way. And, um, I look back now and I see I wasn't fired as much as I was set free, uh, but wow. it took that, it took that um, train wreck, if you will, experience to really put me flat on my back spiritually to where I was either going to have to um, ball up my fist at God for the rest of my life and hate right. him, right. or I was going to have to really come to terms with this anger and bitterness and resentment that I had in my heart toward him. Kevin, that, it, that reminds me of uh, a wiser, older friend of mine who's 94, who told me once that <clears throat> our problems either make us bitter or better. Mm -hmm. And so you just said that I wanted to say that you, you were at a crossroads at, and such a young age too. I mean, you were just three years in the pastorate. It's not very long. Mm -hmm. And to be hurt in the area in which you knew you were called is mm -hmm. doubly hurtful where you could question God or question your hearing. Are you really mm -hmm. hearing from God? Did they actually say we're letting you go because you're a workaholic? No, no. Okay, but you um, figured there it was out. just conflict between us, mm -hmm. um, between the leadership, and I was a very insecure leader, and I, I, I took things the wrong way, and I responded the wrong way, mm -hmm. and um, I really, unfortunately, demonstrated that I cared more about my perspective and opinions than I did the people that God had entrusted in front of me, a and I lesson. really deserved. I deserved to be fired. Um, <laughs> And I grieved later uh, after I really went through some healing and uh, really finding freedom in, in my identity in Christ on a level that I'd never experienced before. And, and it took discipleship. I'd never really been discipled in my identity in Christ. Wow. Never knew that I don't have to preach and he still loves me. I don't have to tithe and he still loves me. Right. And all of a sudden ministry went from a have to in my perspective to a get to to a gift, a gift of life and, and um, a privilege of opportunity by, by my heavenly father. Kevin, when, Kevin, when we, um, cause we all, we all struggle with relying upon ourselves versus relying upon God. Mm -hmm. And um, when I have this low level of anxiety, things aren't going to go well. 
I think I'm relying upon myself. It doesn't mean that I'm not supposed to be nervous if I'm speaking to 200 women. That's different. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, is that, oh, if I'm so nervous or if I'm insecure, my, I'm obviously thinking that my security is based on myself and not on who I am in God. So you learned a beautiful lesson, a very painful way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but good. Yeah. All good. But we serve a God that raises beauty out of the ashes. Yes. Yes. And in some way, shape or another, every human is going to face a graveyard at some point in their life. Something's going to go the wrong way in a way that we never expected. Right. And maybe it's not a parent's divorce and maybe it's not um, a sexual violation or a financial uh, failure or whatever, but it's there's something. a graveyard in all of our past. Mm -hmm. And you're right. We can either um, trust that over to God and let him uh, make us better. Um, otherwise, the only other option is to just stay bitter and and that's, a, that's as bad as a cancer is physically to our physical bodies. And so friends discipled me in freedom in Christ. And one of the exercises was just biblical forgiveness. Mm. And uh, I, I really um, processed the forgiveness of my father. And that really broke the stronghold of rejection over my life that I had been carrying into all of these leadership uh, situations and in, in churches that I had served and everything. I didn't realize that there was such a stronghold of rejection and it wasn't anything that I woke up one day and chose. It, it really was this, this spiritual cloud that really was impacting me. Mm. Um, you know, I, my dad didn't really mean to reject me, but that's how it came across when he would scream, you'll never amount to anything. I felt rejected. Mm. And, and that's really when when the offense of rejection entered into my life and then these leaders just talking about the length of my message and the different things about the church life, I took it personal sure. and I responded out of rejection and I just made their, their, um, their interest, their concerns, I made it worse. And we, we ended up in a war basically that didn't even have to take place, but, um, but it did. And I was released as, as pastor, um, but that really brought a beautiful uh, part of, of life. Uh, so it's, I see it's, that yeah, my- Yeah, I was gonna say, it, it's as if, if, let's say they hadn't been the church that would let you go and you continued in it, you would have been stunted in your growth uh, mm -hmm. a lot longer. And so the fact is that God gifted you with that early early pain in your 20s. It sounds like you were in your 20s, yeah. and which we're still learning who we are in our 20s, even though we think we know who we are. And the fact that God graced you with that hard time shows how much more he wanted to use you. And I'm also thinking of legacy, the legacy of our parents on what the words that they give us is something that we can repeat into our own children or not. And I'm sure that you've been very cognizant in raising your own children. Um, not that you're a perfect parent, but in doing things differently. Is that the case? Yeah. Yeah. Words definitely are powerful. They can either curse or they can bless. And uh, it's very um, necessary that we be careful what we say. And we're not going to be perfect, but we can deal with that by saying, I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. And I've done that a lot with my own children, just going back and just saying, hey, I raised my voice. I screamed when I shouldn't have. That was wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, it, was, it was an improper response. I'm sorry. I need mm -hmm. you to forgive me. Um, all of my kids would share with you that I'm a very imperfect father, um, but I have... Um, 
asked for forgiveness when necessary mm -hmm. and tried to minimize conflicts and deal with conflicts and move on and mm -hmm. even teach my own children how to biblically forgive me, forgive one another. Um, I, I really think that, that they, um, I mean, we're all human, but I, I think that they at least know how to biblically forgive. Um, how did you move from uh, and being a former pastor into this huge world of entrepreneurship? Mm -hmm. I'll say that word, into yeah. building things. Yeah. So I look back and I really struggled as a call into the ministry because I really tried to fit in everyone else's boxes and the stereotypes of what a pastor looked like mm. or a traveling evangelist at that time looked like or a worship leader looked like. And I had a variety of gifts, but I, I never really saw that um, that the, the spirit within me really, really fit well into any of these boxes. And I really struggled until after all of this had happened and I was on staff at a church here in Raleigh, uh, a large church with multiple pastors and the executive pastor really spoke into my life. And he said, Kevin, have you ever realized that you're God's startup guy? I mean, he has really gifted you to start things. And those are I beautiful was, words. He blessed you with those I words. Know. He called and out something him, in you. I've thanked him profusely. And I even um, mentioned him in the back of the book as far as that type of impact that he's I had love that. On my life. Yeah. I want to say it again God's startup guy. I mean, for yeah. someone to come up and say, Sue, you are, and then say something that, oh, I mm -hmm. guess that could be true. Yeah. Give all the glory to God. Okay. So yes. what happened from there? Yes. Yes. And, and so I just began to relax. And um, so part, one of the connections I just want to draw, because you did ask me about getting eventually over to the book. I really see even now how God was setting the stage to really help me write this book. And my, what I'm trying to communicate is I don't think that there would be a book called Audacious Generosity had I not been broken back in my 30s. Uh, from trying to produce things out of my own strength. Mm. And so every attendance, I was guilty of really feeling the pressure to make it happen. Uh, every offering, every need in the church, trying to really produce what I was dependent upon what I could produce. Hmm. Um, and, and I knew that God was good. I wasn't, I wasn't in rebellion at all. I was free, but, but I was, I was really, I was thinking that God had called me part of the call to ministry was to go do a great thing for him mm -hmm. to make Christ known or to make him famous. And, you know, there's a lot of different cliches that, that we could put in the blank there, but it, it, because of my past, I put the pressure on myself to produce. And now I've written this book that giving doesn't depend upon what we can produce. It, 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 it absolutely depends upon what God can produce. And that's where audacious generosity really comes into our lives is realizing God is the giver, not you, not me. And that giving it depends upon what God puts into our hands. And so I found myself in my 30s, we had to move out of, a, out of the house that the church actually owned, and we gave up three years of equity in that home, and I had no income, and things got really, um, really hard financially for several years, mm -hmm. and I found myself years later praying a prayer. There was no food in our home, but I'm a minister of the gospel, and I'm on my face before God, 
and I'm really free in Christ. And I'm praying, I'm praying a prayer that I'd never prayed before. And it was father, give us food that others might eat. Hmm. And what had happened was here, our family, we had a foster son at the time. So there's six of us living in Cary, North Carolina. We had a mortgage, we had a car payment and less than $500 coming in. And so um, we, we were really upside down financially for several months. And I was crying out to God uh, about this. And I really felt uh, him over and over guide me to seek first the kingdom and, and my righteousness and all these other things will be added. Mm. And he was even showing me there, I'm the provider, I'm mm. the giver, but I've called you and set you apart for my, my mission. And really, I look back, I didn't see it right then. Now I see that he was saying, I've got you. You don't have to worry about you. I am going to supply all your needs. But what about those that don't have their hope in me? Wow. Wow. What about those that don't know that I'm an ever-present help? And I started grieving and having compassion for people that, that not only didn't have food, but they didn't have faith. They didn't know that the Lord was on their side. They never put their hope in the Lord. And so I started praying, Father, give us food that others might eat. And a year later, we were feeding 500 families a month with the help of 25 volunteer families. How did and that food, come about? How did that come about? I, I share the story in my book, but I oh, okay. was literally, I was literally walking up the soft drink aisle in a Kroger supermarket here in our area. And I had not written a business plan for this ministry. It became known as with love from Jesus ministries, 20 years later, it's still operating in Raleigh, North Carolina, but hmm. I just casually for one minute had a conversation with a store employee. I noticed she had a uniform on. I said, um, I introduced myself. She told me that she was the manager of the deli. And I said, what do you do with the food you can't sell? And she said, we're throw it away. I said, would you be open to a ministry coming and taking that to families that needed it? She said, let me talk to the manager, come back tomorrow, I'll let you know. And I, I left. I didn't think a whole lot about it. The next day I go in, I find her and I, and, and without even saying anything, she points to three buggies of rotisserie chickens, pizza, pasta, everything that the deli and bakery sold that they would normally have thrown away that day. And she said, take it, give it to families that need it. And I said, how do I get this out of the store? And she said, I've cleared it with a manager. Take it right out through the front door of the store, give it to people that need it. And I did. And um, it was an incredible provision for our family. And we gave lots of food away. And we just, I had no church at that time. So I just started bagging it up and giving it to families saying, here, take this, with, receive this with love from Jesus. And that-, that How did you find the people ministry. just on the corner? No, I mean, really, I, I had, um, because of having started the church and being a minister in this community for uh, years, I knew where the pockets were of the underserved okay. populations in, in the area. And so I just went to the first door and knocked on the door and said, would you be blessed with a free bag of groceries? We can't probably imagine doing that today and in 2021. But then it was very safe and no one really suspected any type of foul play or anything. And they said, yes, uh, wow, God bless you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And then I, then, um, I would I would just start asking them as if I had 10 more bags, do you know any other families? Yeah. And they would take me to their neighbors and within 15 minutes, all 10 bags would be gone. And mm -hmm. then I'd go to another area and within two hours a day that those three buggy fulls would be gone. The next day it happened again. The next day it happened two months later, another Kroger, six months later, another Kroger, and it just grew and grew and grew into 
what is known as with love from Jesus ministries. So I served there for seven years and uh, really felt led of God that my time was um, complete there. And I, I really grieved thinking I, I thought I would be here till I retired, but God then allowed me to start a company. So there we worked on a very nonprofit salary um, gladly, but now our children are becoming teenagers and they're getting braces and they are going to start driving soon. And they're in high school needing yearbooks and all the expenses just started going much higher than yep. we were accustomed to. And God allowed me to start a company called Freedom Managers, providing by the hour business management services to these Christian uh, business owners like cleaning ladies and HVAC men um, and professionals that had a trade but lacked the business skills. And we became their by the hour business manager. And in three years, we had 62 clients and 10 employees on contract with us. And it was a very um, lucrative uh, business for us that really met the needs for our, our teenage years and beyond. And then the church that we were worshiping at called me to help them go multi-site. And that's whenever I did. And that's when that pastor spoke into my life. Mm. And in that season, I just took this mission trip. A man stood up in church and said, I've been called to lead a pastor's conference in India. This is 1998. Mm. And he said, pray that um, another man will go with me as a prayer partner. And uh, this was back when we had no funds. Oh. And, um, and so for the first 10 years of me having any type of connection with India, I only went to India three times. So this was the very first time and we had no money. And I really sensed as he was speaking, God say, you are to go. Wow. And I just, I, I was uh, brave enough, if you will, um, <laughs> stupid, some people might say, to just say to the Lord, if you provide, I'll go. And he provided and I went. And that was really a part of God's healing process for me as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw a value on the presence of God that I had not yet seen in America. What do you mean? Um, they, they don't have a 911 system. So if someone gets a fever there and they, they are in a life-threatening situation, and this was over 20 years ago. Now they have these kind of systems like we have in the U.S. But at that point, if you don't start praying, your loved one's probably going to die. And so um, there was like, they wouldn't have bulletins and budgets in their churches, but they would really passionately pursue the presence of God every time they came together and worship. Hmm. Hmm. I saw orphans without sandals and toothbrushes, but if they knew Jesus, they had joy that the children who had had all the Xboxes of life and Happy Meals of life in America still lacked. Mm -hmm. And the only difference was their pursuit of the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And here I was a minister. And on that plane ride back, that was really whenever I allowed the Holy Spirit to rewrite my philosophy of ministry. I drew a cross in, a, in my journal and I just the Holy Spirit just guided me to write all the good things that I pursued in ministry down on that first cross. Uh, influence, that's a good thing to have as a minister. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, impact, that's another good thing to have. Okay. And all these things that I would pursue. And then on the other cross, the Holy Spirit just really guided me to draw another cross and over it, just write the presence of God. And I made a commitment to the Lord that from that day forward, I was going to pursue his presence first and foremost in my life. Again, I'm imperfect, but that is what I always come back to. It drives me. Uh, that is my purpose. When I wake up in the morning and I have more air in my lungs, I know it is to 
it is for the reason to pursue his presence. Mm-hmm. That That's really what became my ministry then was just his presence. And then out of that has come this lifestyle of generosity. Um, I never have written a business plan for anything that, that I started. It, it was just one, one day at a time. And it just grew as a byproduct of being in the presence of God. These experiences came. And so after, can I uh, interrupt mm-hmm. when you wrote your, when you, uh, when we read the book, we'll get to hear all these things again. So that, I mean, there's so much here that's of value, Kevin. Yeah. And so uh, I'm, I'm hearing that your, your pursuit of God and his presence is then brought you into a generous lifestyle. And that that's something that you want to leave as a legacy to mm-hmm. not just your immediate family, but to the world. Can you can you just sort of wrap this up with that generous philosophy and then we'll guide people to your book because it sounds yes. fascinating. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's it's really been this foundation that the Lord has has given me that has that has given me the opportunity to see the power of generosity. And so in writing Audacious Generosity, God really brought me back to very simple truths that I have been saturated my whole life, but I began to understand them in a new light, like John 3, 16, for example, for God so loved the world that he gave, gave. Mm-hmm. right there is his strategy. So I've been in ministry now four decades, and I've known that the mission of God is always Jesus. It's always the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now I began to understand his strategy is audacious generosity. And for the last 20 years of being involved in missions in India, I have seen the power of generosity to open up villages that would throw a pastor out in a heartbeat, but they would let a free medical clinic come in because their babies are sick Mm -hmm. and they need free medicine, or they'd let a water project come in because their village is sick and they need clean water and on and on and on. And now you've got the opportunity to not only demonstrate the gospel, but proclaim the gospel. And every church that we've um, empowered with a free medical clinic or a free water project or whatever has grown substantially. More baptisms, more salvations, more pastors being called in the ministry, new churches being planted. And so I've really, especially as 2020 happened and the pandemic, it really shifts your values and you realize, you really realize, you know, I'm not so sure we won't the world to continue to decay the way that we're seeing, but how does this all end? And I've, I've been really looking at Revelation 7 and how heaven is an example of every nation, tribe, and tongue worshiping Jesus, and we're going we're gonna to see that that day. But in Matthew 24, verse 14, it says, and this news, good news of the kingdom will be pro- proclaimed in all nations, and then the end will come. And I just really believe God's strategy for, for fulfilling the great commission is generosity. Hmm. And, and so I just, yeah. Okay. I would like you to say, what would be the main legacy then, or say it in one sentence, I'm sure your children know it because they've seen you live it, Mm -hmm. but for the rest of us who just have become acquainted with you today, what would be the last bit of wisdom that you could leave with us? Yeah. I I really want to live in such a way that people see how much a cheerful giver our Heavenly Father is. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's all about God, isn't it? We we forget. We're so self-focused. Thank you, Kevin. This has been a great blessing and privilege. And I will get your book. 
and um, pass it on to others as well. Thank you so much for sharing your heart. What a, what a great gift to have been, not to have been hurt, but to have grown up out of a hard experience. And yet look at the fruit born from it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. thank you so much. Yes. We'll put thank all you. the links. We'll put all the links in our show notes so mm -hmm. that, and you have a podcast as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it's uh, titled, along with the book, Audacious Generosity. Okay, and it really is just breaking down uh, this revolutionary lifestyle to a daily walk. Uh, just every single week, injecting uh, a, a new step, practical step of just how we can live generously here on the earth today. So great. Audacious Generosity. Kevin White, thank you so much today. Thank you, Sid. You're welcome. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.